Nation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go beyond the bell. Just like Christmas, New Year's, Easter, and the 4th of July, anytime you see the four horsemen together, it's something special. It's a special day. It's an event, if you would. The newspapers come around, the TV cameras cover it because we're special, because we control wrestling. We rule the world of professional wrestling, the world television champion, the world heavyweight champion, the greatest tag team combination of all time, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Andersons, and my humble self. Tony Giovanni, the Rock and myself stand before you in this Yuletide season a little naked. You see, world television champion, world heavyweight champion, but Rocky and I are a little bear. Our tree is a little bear. But let me tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that's temporary. You see Nikita Koloff, you've got to stop. You're the U.S. heavyweight champion. I'm not forgetting that. Ronnie Garvin, Barry Windham, you're the U.S. tag champion. Rocky and myself have not forgot that. So rest assured, GQ ball, as I stand here before you, rest assured. Your U.S. title is in jeopardy. It doesn't get mentioned much, but it's in the back of my mind because I'm going to tell you, I myself, personally, am going to restore the name Anderson to where it should be on top of the heap. I guess what we're trying to say is whether you're a fat out of shape truck driver, whether you're a skinny geek pushing a taxi cab, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer that doesn't have half the money we have, this is the way life is. If Ollie wants to slap Road Warrior Hawk, he'll do it. If Tully wants to spit on Road Warrior Animal, he'll do it. If Iron wants to take Dusty Rhodes, do all that, he'll do it. And Nikita, if I want you, all three of them, gonna hold you, I'm gonna slap you, I'm gonna spit on you, I'm gonna kick you, and I'm gonna go, woo, all night long. We going to Minneapolis, we going to LA, we going to Frisco, Albuquerque, Chicago. In other words, after we beat all the wrestlers up, if there's a woman out there, what to find out just where she stands in the world of femininity, jump on the horseman one time, baby. It's an all-night ride. We're going to destroy Philly tonight. Woo! Chicago tomorrow, the four horsemen right here. Gentlemen, anybody out there watching, we're a unit. The Four Horsemen are not four individuals. Anytime you see the Four Horsemen together, it's something special. We are the studs in professional wrestling. in professional wrestling throughout history. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that turns back the clock to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. This is Beyond the Bell via the SNS Radio Network. I'm your host, ring announcer, broadcaster, TV host, 
podcaster, and fan, lover of professional wrestling, Sean Beckerman, and welcome back to the old school retro nostalgia show known as Beyond the Bell. It's time once again to continue the Horseman Files in celebration of their induction to the 2012 WWE Hall of Fame. We decided to look back at the career, the history of the four horsemen in professional wrestling in chronological order by year. Last edition, we wrapped up 1985. The formation of the horsemen, things were starting to brew. Actions were starting to occur. Stars were about to align. And the four horsemen were about to debut and explode on the national scene. This week... We look back at 1986. The four horsemen are born. Tony Giovanni, the one thing I've always prided myself on ever since we first made eye contact is I don't shoot a lot of bull. When I come out here and I spend time, anybody wants to pass the quality of time on this TV station, you don't come out here and talk about women. You don't come out here and talk about your toys. I'm going to change all of the scenario for one brief time. I want to talk about wrestling. You see, there's a match coming up in Daytona Beach that's going to set all, what I might say, attendance records. It's going to be a gut check. What it's going to do is be a measuring stick for tag team equivalency. I'm talking about the Road Warriors, the American Dream, and Nikita Koloff all on one team. If you've ever pictured that into your realm, you think, what team did you put against that team that would have any chance? You see, Dusty Rose has been the very best for as long as I can remember. He's took Nikita Koloff and molded him into a super champion. You look at the Road Warriors, they're the most awesome force in professional wrestling. You figure there's no four guys you can stick together that would even pose a chance. But you got to remember one thing, Tony Giovanni. Where the four horsemen are not four guys that are stuck together. We're four guys that train together, live together, travel together. And I'm going to use one key word, Daytona Beach. When it's all said and done, you're going to remember this word. We sacrifice together. You see, ego doesn't enter into what we do. We don't worry about whatever you might want to call it. We don't care about our ego getting tarnished, our good looks getting tarnished. When we get in a match, I'll sacrifice, Luger will sacrifice, Tony will sacrifice, and so will the world heavyweight champion because, you see, all we care about is getting our power raised. You want to be a horseman, it's not because all these people say, oh, you're a horseman. It's not because you got a satin jacket that says horseman on the back. The only way you can claim to be a horseman is to get out there and when it gets tough, you suck it up. You get in that gym on the day, you don't want to get in the gym. You pull that wrestling boot on when you can't pull it on because you got a ankle this big. What it's called, it's called a gut check. It's called a measuring stick. So Daytona Beach, you want to get a ticket, you want to pull up a seat, you want to pay, you want to get your money's worth, you're going to get your money's worth because I assure you, the four horsemen will show you nothing but tag team access. Rose, Road Warriors, Akita, pull on your boots, time up real tight. We're coming for you in Daytona. Now this all started when asked to fill remaining TV time, the four came out to close the program with an interview, the four being Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and world champion nature boy Ric Flair. So there the four stood for the very first time in a collective unit to discuss their individual matches at the coming events. After Flair had said his piece, Arn took the mic and told us all that we were witnessing history. 
only once had so much damage been caused by so few. Arn screamed out loud, and to find that source, you need to go all the way back to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The name stuck, and pro wrestling's first major stable was born. With battle lines drawn, the four had their work cut out for them in the months to come. The Andersons had a strong hold on their U.S. Tag Team Championship, but the threat in that category would be a constant one. Flair's World Championship was easily highly contested and defended more so than Hulk Hogan's WWF Championship. It was always a great target with everyone from seasoned veterans to hopeful rookies demanding a shot at the championship, a shot at the title. Under the guide of J.J. Dillon, the horsemen had a definite direction and plan. 1986. It was early in the year, and already the four horsemen were dominating in full. They made lifelong enemies out of major powers in Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. They held the singles world title and the national tag team belts, and they had not allowed anything to hold them back. Without a shadow of a doubt, things were looking easier and easier for the horsemen, but their enemies were not ready to be counted out just yet. Dusty and then U.S. champion Magnum T.A. had realized their common issue and decided the best way to fight fire was with fire. Assaulting the horsemen as one man against an army was useless, so perhaps the strength truly lay in numbers. Tony! Tony! Ollie! It's Ollie! 
as Ole, Arn, and Tully were participating in a six-man tag team war, Dusty and Magnum climbed into the ring and made public their coalition alongside the unexpected help of Ron Bass. After chasing away his teammates, the three centered their assault on Ole Anderson, the man all held responsible for the attacks on Sam Houston. Giving Ole a taste of his own medicine, the three tried their best to break his leg. Though the elder horseman escaped without injury, the message was clear. These three were not about to take things lying down. Tony Blanchard and Arn Anderson. And look, it's all that we can look. You know, David Crockett, you had the nerve to make an idiotic statement a while ago that the greatest wrestling attraction in the world was going to be here tonight, Dusty Rhodes, right out there in the middle of that ring. Well, you know how stupid that sounds. You're looking at the world television champion, the national heavyweight champion, the world champion, and the legendary James J. Dillon, and everybody in the building wants to know what's causing all this, and I'll tell you what it is. What's causing this is ability, wrestling ability. You're looking at the greatest wrestlers alive today. Three, oh, uh, what do we got here, huh? Don't. Let me tell you something, stud hoss. You out here shooting your mouth off day in and day out about what you can do. The greatest sports attraction in the world today is going to wrestle on this TV tonight. If you got anything in that gut of yours besides butterflies, you'll go back, put on your tights, put on your coat, put on your robe, and face me tonight right in that ring right there. Oh, and by the way, Tully, baby doll told me... Daddy. You know, you know, David Crockett, it costs a lot of money to put one of us on television. So, Dusty Rhodes, you just keep on dreaming. Woo! Meanwhile, Tully Blanchard had fought several unsuccessful bouts with Magnum TA over Magnum's United States title. One evening, T.A. all but had wrapped things up with his patented belly-to-belly suplex, but Blanchard's leg had caught the ref on his way down, and, holding true to wrestling tradition, the official went down as though he'd been shot. While Magnum tended to the man in stripes, Tully's former valet, Baby Doll, came from the crowd dressed up as a security guard. She handed the recovering Blanchard a foreign object, which met Magnum's head moments later and gave Tully the U.S. gold he's been chasing, and their presence could no longer be ignored. Almost one month later, Blanchard was accompanied to a title defense by Baby Doll. As the match progressed, Magnum T.A. stepped from the crowd dressed as, you guessed it, a security guard fans, and handcuffed Baby Doll to the bottom rope. Magnum entered the ring, and Blanchard charged him right into a belly-to-belly suplex. What a great spot. As T.A. looked upon his work, he made a formal challenge to Blanchard and walked out of the ring to a thunderous applause. The return match was nearly a full hour before it ended in a draw as neither man could respond to the referee's 10 count. Unsatisfied from the result, Magnum was given a rematch. The infamous I Quit Cage match, in which there must be a winner. After a bloody, grueling war, Blanchard surrendered 
as T.A. ground the point of a wooden chair into a cut over his eye. The feud continued for some time, leading into the NWA's humongous summer event, the Great American Bash. He won the U.S. championship from him. Let's take a look at that. Bring up that bout right now. Okay, Tully, you want to pick up the action here? Okay, right now, the match is about 45 minutes into the match right now. And uh, this happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you can see both men are tired, weary. Totally exhausted. Both and it is, it was an awesome battle. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Do not take anything away from Magnum T.A. Okay, it is. Here he whips you into the corner. There's the belly-to-belly -belly suit play. It looks like it's all over here. But? No referee. No, the referee. No okay. It's just like football, anything else. The referee is part of the ring. He got in the way. He got hit by my feet when uh, Magnum gave me the belly-to-belly. -belly. And it's an awesome move. The Did belly -belly he have you pinned suplex, at that point? Uh, I was kicking out. He wouldn't have had the three count. Okay. Even with the referee? Even down. with the referee Now, wait a, wait a minute. Let's look over here. A security guard coming over and a handing you A security guard did not hand me anything. Came wait. up and kissed me on the cheek, Bill After. Kissed wait me on the minute. cheek. Wait a minute. A lot of people think, and there you are slugging T.A. with that, impressing him. Now, a lot of people think that that security guard was indeed Baby Doll. Well, a lot of people think that's fine. But, in fact... And you can ask Dusty Rhodes to show you all the bills from the Holland, from the Sheridan on Waikiki Beach. Baby Doll took her, took Dusty Rhodes' credit card and went on a little vacation. She was not within 15,000 miles of Charlotte, North Carolina. That was just an admirer of mine that gave me a little bit of inspiration, which I needed. The adrenaline was flowing, and I came up and knocked Magnum out. You say there was no weapon in your hand? No whatsoever. weapon whatsoever, Bill After. Okay, right now let's take a look at uh, some more action where you and a security guard got into an altercation. Okay, let's pick up the action here. There you are wrestling uh, Joel Deaton and doing a pretty good, good job on uh, beating him with those fists, Tully. That was Joel Deaton beating me with the fist. Now, over now here, look. a security guard handcuffing or taking something out of Magnum the Magnum TA, dressed up like a security guard, trying to sneak up. Now, what kind of man handcuffs a woman to a ring like now, that? And Tully. then sneaks in the ring behind me. Tully. I and, just... Yeah, but you, you have to realize, after what Baby Doll supposedly did as the... as dressed as a security guard... <laughs> Bill, after you sound like Magnum sometimes. Baby there Doll is. did this, Baby Doll did that. Yeah, the belly to belly, it's an awesome move. No doubt. I just got done wrestling a, a hard, strenuous match for the United States over the title, and Magnum sneaks in the ring, fresh, dressed up like a damn security guard, and gave me the belly to belly suplex. Well, he contends that it was Baby Doll and that security well, guard. Well, that's fine. If he, if he needs to make excuses for his inadequacies, that's fine. Well, I don't really think that's an excuse. For anything well, inadequate. Right that sounds like a pretty good excuse to me. Well, let's let's go right now to what was supposed to be the last match between you and Magnum TA in Greensboro. Let's okay. check this out. Okay, Tully, let's pick up the action here. Both of you exhausted. Oh, exhausted. Trying to... the, the match lasted 52 minutes. You're watching the last couple minutes of the match. 50 minutes into the match right here. And okay. both men are exhausted, battered, beaten. And uh, it took me three days of Baby Doll giving me tremendous massages to rehabilitate after this match. Okay, now it looks like, you know, at this point in time, 
that it's anybody's ball game. Oh, at this point it is. Right now it's down to who has the most guts and who has the most intestinal fortitude. And that's it totally. Okay, now... Punching right there. See, Maggie? See? Look at him. Well, Tully, you, you have to realize at this point, you know, I'm sure you had punched T.A. several times as well. <laughs> okay, Bill. You, you don't... Uh, I'll concede I, to you right there. Well, now just because I know Tully Blanchard. Now, there's an atomic drop. Into the turnbuckle, I came out... And the, my, the back of my head hit him right in the nose, knocked him out, knocked me out. And the referee's counting to 10 right here, and the well, match is over. Tully, if this man, if you say that you can beat this man any time, why, why even try and get out of this I Quit match? And well, why I never said I could beat him any time. Have you ever heard me say that? That you could beat Magnum him any time? Magnum T.A. is a tough, tough competitor. He may be one of the top four or five wrestlers in professional wrestling today. Strong, young, virile, anything you want to get. That Magnum epitomizes all that stuff. But the fact is, he had never lost a match in a year and a half, and I pinned him and defeated him for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Well, again, that, that you know, there, there were a lot of people that that uh, thought that that match really was was there was something wrong in that match. There's probably a lot of Phoenix people that were upset at the Lakers and, and, the, and the Celtics or or the 49ers and, and the Miami Dolphins last year. You know, I mean, there's people going to get upset no matter what happens. Well, you still, you, we still have to, you know, deal with the situation that the I Quit match, non-sanctioned by the NWA, is signed. It is signed. I signed the open contract. Jim Crockett overruled the National Wrestling Alliance president, Bob Geigel. He put Magnum TA's name on the contract for Starcade. 1985 Thanksgiving night for the United States Heavyweight Championship. I am not pleased. My lawyers have tried to get me out of this thing because it is not sanctioned by the National Wrestling Alliance. It is not right. It should not be done. And I am not pleased with it. You're absolutely right. Very quickly, your strategy for that night, would you care to reveal any of that? To I us? would not care to reveal one thing that I'm going to do, but I'm going to walk out of the out Starcade night with the belt around my waist. You can guarantee yourself about Thank that. Thank you very much, Tully Blanchard, baby doll. Double A Arn Anderson had acquired the television title while his partner and brother Oli was recovering from a leg injury. As a result, the two could not defend their national tag team titles within the 30-day time limit and were stripped of the belts. Brads, here are three of the four horsemen. JJ Gillen, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. What you have here is the four horsemen united live in exciting color right here on national television. The Rock is back and the impact was felt all around the wrestling world. And now that the Anderson brothers are back, Flair, the world's heavyweight champion, Tully Blanchard, national heavyweight champion, along with the infamous James J. Dillon, nobody or nothing can stop what's going to happen. You know, the bash is upon us, and we've got a lot of people that think they're going to do some avenging. Well, get ready. We're ready for the bash. Rhodes, everybody else, I hope you're ready, because we're coming your way. Tony Giovanni, all I got to say is I told you The Rock was coming back. We base our credibility on one thing. We don't make promises. We don't make threats that we can't make good. The Rock's back. You want to get in bed with the big dogs? You're going to get on the critical list, whoever you are. Tony Giovanni! Never let it be said that Ric Flair hasn't stood between a couple of real big men in his life. You know, all I hear about are the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. Well, you guys, wherever you are, and we know for a fact a lot of you are having a hard time finding your way 
to the television station when you know that the horsemen are in the same building. As a matter of fact, Dusty Rhodes is sitting in Charlotte or Houston or Dallas, wherever he is, sending in videos. Well, brother, this isn't a video shop. It's a wrestling promotion, and we like to see the guys we don't like firsthand. Now, there's two other guys that have been hard-pressed to find their way here, too. The Road Warriors, you know. We're talking about Animal and Road Warrior Big Bird Hawk. That's right. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? We're talking about you. That's right, Hawk. When we get done with you, Hawk, we're going to stretch that big neck here about a foot longer, and they're going to call you Road Warrior Big Bird Hawk. You know why? Because we say so. We told Dusty Rhodes we was going to break his leg, and we broke his leg. We told Gordon and Gibson they were going to get hurt, and they got hurt. In other words, this elite family has got the distinction of doing what they say they're going to do. So whether you like it or not, learn to love it, because we're going to be here for a long, long time. One more short note. If there's a woman in the world that's between the age of 18 and 28 that's not wearing a training bra that wants to find out what a real man's all about, then girls, what's causing all this? Yeah. The four harshmen together and coming up right after this break, a pre-recorded videotape interview with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. The NWA was heading into their major event, the Great American Bash, and unlike today's single pay-per-view event, the Bash of 86 was a series of cards that spread across the states. With different matches, participants, and outcomes at every stop, the Bash wasn't an event so much as it was a tour. The run demanded a spectacular 13 total world title defenses from Ric Flair in the span of one month. His first challenge? None other than Road Warrior Hawk, one half of the former national tag team champions. The big, man, the big man's power kept Flair's technical prowess surprisingly in check, but after a hard-fought contest, Flair squeaked out a DQ finish that allowed him to keep the precious gold around his waist. Throughout the series of, of events, Flair fought more and more difficult opponents. Young athletes, eager to prove themselves, jumped at the opportunity. Ricky Morton proved a lightweight and could handle the stress of a world title match. Nikita Koloff brought brute strength to the plate. Rugged Ronnie Garvin gave Flair a feud to look forward to in, for years in the years to come. Magnum T.A. brought the sting of an old foe and Wahoo McDaniel took it to a cage before his card was played out. Amazingly enough, the Nature Boy survived through 12 of 13 defenses and never failed to pronounce his proficiency to all who would listen. Such competition defined Flair as a fighting champion and it was hard to argue with the convincing point he was proving. The tour's final challenge, however, came in the form of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. You know, David Crockett, it's understood by now that Ole Anderson, one of the four horsemen, is back in seven, eight, nine years of my lifetime, has been spent waking up in the morning with a toothache or a black eye or stitches in my face at the hands of Ole Anderson. And that's fine. 
Because the same time I was waking up with a little heartache, with a little serious pain, he was waking up with twice as much serious heartache and serious pain. And the four husbands tell Blanchard, Ian Anderson, Ole Anderson, James J. Dillon, and the nature boy Rick Flair, it brings to mind one thing. At the Great American Bash, this country's capital, Washington, D.C., is a very place in my heart because that place is where it's going to happen. Rick Flair, you come out here and can talk about 13 other guys, 13 other men, and not a one of them has wore the gold around the waist one time, much less two times. Dusty Rhodes has two times world's heavyweight champion. And Ronald Reagan, you and Nancy better get your seats. And Delvin and Joe Ely, I wanted rocket and socket. Because in Washington, D.C., the American dream becomes world's heavyweight champion for the third time. And the four husbands can take that to the bank. Fully equipped with a steel cage and thousands of screaming fans. As Flair wore down Rhodes' still injured leg, he seemed to have everything under control. Bleeding as though it were going out of style, of course. Only Ric Flair can. He set the dream up for a signature figure for a leg lock. But Rhodes reversed it into a cradle. It was enough to register the three count and a ballistic flare could only look on as his arch enemy walked out of the event with the world title on his arm and finally around his waist. Now that's not to say the Great American Bash ended as a complete embarrassment for the NWA's premier stable. Throughout the 13 dates, the Andersons had been viciously seeking the World Tag Team Championship, currently in the hands of Jim Cornette's Midnight Express. A series of number one contenders matches ended with no winner before the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson took the spot from the Andersons and captured the belts from Cornette's boys. This left the Wrecking Crew as contenders to the titles, belts which have eluded them through several difficult title shots. After injuring Gibson, the Andersons demanded that the titles be vacated and awarded to them. But management disagreed. They allowed Morton to choose his own partner for title defenses until Gibson could return, which sat well with Morton. The likes of Dusty Rhodes, Tim Horner, Ronnie Garvin, and Brad Armstrong jumped at the chance to piss on the horsemen. And after several difficult battles and near victories, Ole and Arndt were left without the titles they'd so desperately sought. They would love the chance to ruin the day of the four horsemen. Though the belts had eluded them, the wrecking crew was without a doubt back in the ranks of the NWA's top tag teams. The cards may have been down, but the four men did not take much time to sit and mope. They didn't do that. They styled and profiled. As Ric Flair made certain this event would not cripple the already formidable, formidable alliance. Only weeks after losing his title, Flair engaged in a series of rematches with champion Dusty Rhodes, most of which ended with a horseman run-in and assault on Rhodes' leg. In the final match of the series, Flair locked in a figure four leg lock and Rhodes passed out. Not two weeks removed 
from a two-year reign, Ric Flair was back in the limelight as world heavyweight champion, while Dusty Rhodes moved on to feud with the rest of the stable, nearly instantly winning the TV title from Arn Anderson. Ringside to Midnight Express, and Jim Cornette trying their best to get out of the way because right over here to my left, there you see him, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. Watch out now. Teddy Long. Well, it looked like they wanted to sneak up from either side, and Jim Cornette had a few words about you and Nikita Kola. Let me tell you what, Jim, Jim Cornette's mouth running all the time, talking about Sweet Stan. Uh, America's heart throb. Uh, women love him, and Bobby, men love Bobby. I don't know what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about. But they stepped in the wrong pasture. You know what I'm talking about? Nikita Kola, my super partner, takes care of his business, baby. Bear went and takes care of his business, and that kid, a personal friend of mine. So now that there's other people joining the big wall, you know what I'm talking about. The four husband rule wrestling, that's a bunch of baloney. From the, from Iron Anderson on up to Ric Flair, that's a bunch of baloney. The Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream is out here week in and week out with a legendary record in professional wrestling. Has no equal. And I made it a point to say I wanted the United States heavyweight champion. And that's Lex Luger. And Lex Luger, you are the total package. You are a great looking athlete. You was a great football player. You're a mediocre wrestler. You're a mediocre legend. You're a mediocre financial genius. The Weaver Lock, Johnny Weaver told me, yes it is. And it put you to sleep one time. And then we seen on national TV last night. You apply the back record. Oh, yes. It's a painful hole. It'll snap you in half. But you should have had me crawl out of the ring. You should have let me up and walk away. Because that's Ric Flair. Ask Tully Blanchard. Ask J.J. Dillon. Ask the Midnight Express. What happens when I walk away? I turn around and I come back for you. And now then you got that beautiful moving star face. Like Sluga. Unscarred. Every piece of your body, you don't even have a pimple on your butt. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's clean, brother. That's clean in a Safeway chicken. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm going to take care of that business. I'm going to put pimples where they belong and boots where they belong. And I'm going to take that pretty face of yours and I'm going to start it up. I'm going to close your eyes and I'm going to bust your open. Because this it's a violent sport, and I am the king of violence. I am the king of this sport. Now that the legendary Dusty Rhodes wants the U.S. heavyweight title, I'm going to take it. But I don't have to beat you, Lex Luger. You got to beat the legend to walk around and call yourself a Hosman. And it ain't going to happen. Hosman do not rule wrestling. It's ruled by wrestling throughout this country. Great athletes. And I just happen to be the best one that walks out on this program. Dusty Rhodes, the American... In the months leading up to Starcade that year, Dusty Rhodes was readying himself for one more big push at Ric Flair and the World Heavyweight title. Though it would not prove to be easy, he'd been conned into participating in a tag match to determine his standing as of Starcade, and it reeked of horseman ingenuity. Rhodes was scheduled to team up with Magnum TA against the team of Ole Anderson and J.J. Dillon who was presumably substituting for the injured Tully Blanchard 
in a steel cage match. As always, the horseman had seen to it that a special stipulation was assigned. In this case, if Rhodes and Magnum lost, Dusty would be banned from Stargate 86. Magnum had just dropped the U.S. title to Nikita Koloff in the blow-off of their classic Best of Seven series and was certainly figuring into future plans for the world title before a car accident tragically ended his wrestling career. Wrestling, Ole and Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, James J. Dillon, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And you know, guys, I was just thinking, how awesome would it be if all four of you were in the ring at the same time? It's sort of an eight-man tag team type of thing, huh? Well, I'll tell you what, they'd have to put up some pretty heavy money because I can't imagine four people getting in the ring against the four horse. I can't imagine eight guys getting in against us. I can't imagine anybody in their right mind getting in against us. But I can't imagine this. I can imagine that sometime during 86... Dusty Rhodes is going to take his tights, all of his wrestling gear, and put it outside the door of one of these buildings around the country with a sign on it that says, I quit. Rhodes, one way or another, we're going to get rid of you, and it's going to take place this year. Mark on it. You know, guys, being part of the Four Horsemen, everywhere you go all over the country, the people say, the horsemen are coming, and all the women go crazy. But, you know, you start talking about the people we've done in. You go talk to Dusty Rhodes and ask him about his leg. You go ask Ronnie Garvin about his hand. You go ask the road warriors who dropped him right on top of their heads and left them laying. And the list goes on. So what four men are capable of getting in the ring with the four horsemen? Huh? You answer well, What do you think, Arn? Cornette, when these bashes started, I told you, we had the gold to begin with. When the bashes are over, we will continue to have it. Gentlemen, anybody out there watching, we're a unit. The four horsemen are not four individuals. And last but not least, I don't want to say I told you so. I don't want to blow our own horn, but toot, toot, we are still recipients and owners of all the trophies. We make it happen in professional wrestling. Tell them, champ. You see, Jim Cornette, in the case of the Four Horsemen, you have got brains, you have got wealth, you have a tremendous amount of brawn, and ladies, let me assure you, there's not a gelding in the bunch. We are the studs in professional wrestling. We are the men that get it done. And we tell you we're going to beat somewhere, and we're going to beat somebody up. Then you know what? Put it in the bank, because we'll be there, and we're going to beat somebody up. Let's go back to the ring. As the NWA as a whole struggled through the shock of this incident, Nikita Koloff stood up and took TA's slot alongside Rhodes with Magnus Blessing. The two had formed a bond of sorts through their seven-month feud and it translated over to real life. Fans didn't strongly back Koloff at first, but eventually came around to the big man. And it seemed all was ready to go for the big match, but the horsemen had another trick or two up their sleeves. In the weeks before the match, it was announced that Rhodes had suffered multiple injuries outside the ring, and details were sketchy at the moment. As announcers offered conspiracy theories, Tully Blanchard wandered to the announce table or the announce position video cassette in hand on it Blanchard proudly showcased a homemade movie that featured himself alongside the Andersons and J.J. Dillon chasing down Dusty's car stopping him in a parking lot and viciously beating him with, a, with baseball bats bare fists utilizing their surroundings to further the, the damage 
Tully, most of the times you're not on the receiving end. You're dishing it out, but this time you caught it. Well, you know, Bob Cutler, that's true. That's why I'm one of the four horsemen and why I'm at the top of professional wrestling in what makes things happen, just like Ric Flair, Ole, and Arn Anderson. And you know, Dusty Rhodes, you got to be mighty proud of yourself. All big time, you got his revenge. The announcers like to say the big revenge happened at Greensboro Coliseum. I'm on crutches, hyperextended knee. What man alive could withstand the figure four for five minutes? 300 pounds jumping off the top rope on his leg twice, and then the tape cuts off. You don't see him come back in the dressing room, knocking doctors over and uh, medical people over, coming to get me again. Oh, no. Dick Murdoch wants to talk about in the ring, spit on the wounds, and keep on trucking. Well, Dick Murdoch, if you call the dressing room in the ring, then you're dumber than I think you are. But, you know... Dusty Rose, when you did that to me, you opened up a whole can of worms, brother. You opened up the whole world, and that's exactly what we did. Instead of taking the body of the snake piece by piece to get to you, we decided to go right for the head of the snake, and that's what we did. You see, a contract was signed for Charlotte, North Carolina, that if Dusty Rhodes or his partner lost the fall in the cage against Ole and Tully, that he was going to be out of Starcade. Well, he figured if he took him out, he could weasel out of the contract, but that's not going to be the case. This is how we handle Dusty Rhodes. There you go, that's not a Mercedes. One of them little convertibles. Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> Let's see how big shot he is today. You sure? I, I'm just not clear what we're doing. You just that's... sit there and I'll tell you what to do. I'm paying you money, that's all you need to know. That's him right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, go on. <laughs> oh, boy. Ole and I right on his tail. Don't let anybody get That's it. I don't think he's seen us. That's it. Once you get him in that parking lot, there's no turning around. He'll never get out. Come on, turn, turn, turn. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah, he's turning. We've got him. <laughs> we got it right where we want him. That's it. Take it easy, Arn. Take it easy. Not too close. Not too close. Come on, come on. In the parking lot. Come on. Now, if he... Yeah, right back there to Crockett's office. <laughs> I got him now. <laughs> this isn't going to be very smooth. <laughs> Don't you worry. Just keep that camera running. Get his face! Get yeah, his face! Get his face! I'm on it now, Rhodes! 
Nevertheless, Rhodes was determined and he showed up for the big match, ready to fight, complete with a, <laughs> a bandaged body and all. And in an anticlimactic short match, Rhodes and Koloff completely dismantled the horsemen and their manager. Flair made his way to ringside, but it was too little too late. Rhodes was still in contention for Starcade. Outraged, the horsemen assaulted promoter Jim Crockett with demands. They sought first out for a first blood match at Starcade between Blanchard and Rhodes, with the TV title at stake. The Andersons demanded a tag team match, or tag team title contest, against the Rock and Roll Express in a steel cage, with hopes that the gimmick match would could overcome the troubles they had dealing with the younger, faster workers in the past. If their demands weren't met, Flair and the Horsemen vowed they would pull out of all competition, leaving Crockett without a champion to defend the title at his cornerstone event. It was blackmail, plain and simple, and it worked to perfection. Crockett bent before the demands, and the Horsemen had their way. Simple and effective, fans. With the majority of his top contenders preoccupied, injured, or outclassed, there was only one man Crockett could lean towards as a world title contender. Nikita Koloff had no problem with the challenge. The event itself was a split card, meaning it was held in two different arenas, kind of like WrestleMania 2, but with two arenas instead of three. While J.J. Dillon, the Andersons, and Blanchard were together in Greensboro, Flair was left to fend for himself in Atlanta. The horseman was riding alone. And I know thoroughbreds when I see them, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen and James J. Dillon. You know, the TV ad says when he has fighting speaks, everybody listens, but when the four horsemen are around, everybody runs for their lives. <laughs> yeah. You know something, Jimmy Corn, what so many people don't understand, being one of the four horsemen is not something you wake up every morning and put on, like a leather jacket, a pair of cowboy boots, maybe some little scarves. Being one of the horsemen is a sign, a state of being, it's being proud to be one of the four horsemen. It's being proud to be a champion and doing whatever you have to do to stay a champion. That's what being one of the four horsemen means. You know, Jim Cornette, halfway through the bashers, everybody expected Ric Flair to be not the world champion. Expected Ole and Art to be down by the road warriors and expected Ronnie Garvin to be carrying this. But the bottom line is... They were all up here still talking. All the hardware is still on our side of the fence. And you know what? The road warriors are still out here. Yep, yep, yep. What we're going to do to the four horsemen. Garvin, yep, yep, yep. Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes, Wahoo McDaniels, and the list goes on and on. And especially the Rock and Roll Express. Well, boys, the thing is, talk don't get it. Actions do. Get inside the squared circle and take the four horsemen down. And then we'll shut up. You think Jimmy Cornette, what you got here are four well-developed men, four champions, four wealthy men, four men that know what life's all about, and most of all, four men that are champions, thanks to the guidance and the tutelage of Mr. James J. Dillon. Ladies, the bottom line is, you're looking at something that we all want to know what's causing all this. The four Tully and Dusty's war was the first of three, 
and Blanchard came out with J.J. Dillon's shady techniques in his quarter. As the two gladiators ready for battle, Dillon handed his man a fitted boxing helmet, which concealed most of the challenger's face. When referee Earl Hender took that off almost immediately, Blanchard backpedaled and called for a timeout while Dillon plastered his face with Vaseline. The announced team let us in on the secret. This was an old trick used by boxers, which would force Rhodes' blows to slide right off his face. Once again, the ref put a stop to this and toweled the goop off the enraged mug of the challenger. After the defeat of their second plan, Dylan made the mistake of a lifetime and made a move for Rhodes himself. A bionic elbow, several strong fists, and a boot later, Rhodes was ready to go and Dylan was left in a puddle of his own blood on the floor. That's right, J.J. Dillon bladed. The match was on, and neither man was willing to put their head at any immediate risk. The two circled for a bit before finally getting comfortable with the stipulations and like letting it all hang out. The referee caught a wild fist in the face and probably would have made it if he hadn't stumbled into the way of the following road suplex. Dillon took the opportunity and rushed to the ring with his hard-soled shoe, that's right, but that little onslaught ended about as quickly as it began. Rhodes sent Dylan back to the outside and considered using the shoe on Tully before lobbying it into the crowd and jumping on Blanchard with a series of vicious fists. With the ref out, Dylan on the floor, Blanchard bleeding like a stuck pig, and a shoe into the audience. The Dream did what any face would do in the same situation. He went to revive Earl Hebner, the official. While this excruciating process was going down, Dylan gathered himself and proved why he was such an asset for the horseman. He quickly grabbed the towel and the Vaseline and went to work, drying the blood from his man's face and temporarily, and temporarily in the process sealing the wound with the Vaseline. As the ref came to, J.J. handed Blanchard a roll of coins and took off. When Rhodes spun around, he was met with a fistful of change and he went down. Down goes Rhodes bleeding from the side of his head. Both men fell, and good old Earl called for the bell. The winner and new television champion, Tully Blanchard. Well, you know, if the people have eyes and can remember what happened the last time we were in Cincinnati, they know that it's not going to be an easy match when you see the Andersons and Tully Blanchard in there. There's no way, there's no way that we're going to take the back seat to Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors. People again can remember what happened on television. For the first time ever, the Road Warriors ended up on their backside. Now, who did it? They slipped on a banana peel? No. They were against the Andersons. They were against Blanchard. They were against the Four Horsemen. And they ended up not looking too good. Rhodes is scared. We started out with the leg. Tully did that in Kansas City. And now Rhodes isn't too sure of himself anymore. Champion one day, next day got a bad leg. Road Warriors, I suppose, are down there. Must be a lot of money being exchanged there, trying to protect Dusty Rhodes. But I'll tell you what, we get to Cincinnati. We're going to do something to Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors that nobody is ever going to forget. Am I right? Rock, I tell you what. With you in there, Ric Flair, the World Heavyweight Champion, and myself, the three of us, three of the four horsemen. And you know, when there's three together, the other one's not far away. And only Arn's going to be hiding in the lurks. 
just in case our plan doesn't quite go as scheduled. But I tell you what, the Road Warriors, as Flair said once before, when that 20-minute mark starts going and they start breathing real hard like that, who is going to protect Dusty Rhodes? Who is going to be there to protect him? He thinks he's got the two biggest, baddest men in professional wrestling to protect him from the horsemen. But remember, Rhodes, 86 is your year. Only said it, and we're going to carry it out. 86 is the finale of your career. Road Warriors, Magnum, anybody else you want to put around you. As Dylan and Blanchard fled the arena, the Andersons walked out of, of their still cage match against the Rock and Roll Express. The match was big, and all four men knew it. The cage was the wrecking crew's home. But the Rock and Rollers had taken all the previous encounters and thus held the momentum in this feud. This confrontation between the two. As expected, it started off with the Andersons' favor. In their slot, the Andersons took the advantage. In fact, things nearly came... It became a squash as Arn and Ole cut the ring in half and dominated Gibson in their own unique fashion with a focus on the right leg. Traditional wrestling style. Every time Robert would climb near climb near his partner, Arn and Ole would be there to hook the leg and drive him back to their corner, building the tension. The eventual hot tag to Morton turned the tide for a moment, but Ricky soon met the cage close up, and before long, Arn and Ole were having their way with both men once more. Arn hit his mean trademark spinebuster in the middle of the ring as Gibson made the last second save. The Andersons hit their double-team finisher, a top-rope arm breaker, into an armbar submission that still looks brutal to this very day. But Morton still held on. As things began to fall apart, all four were in the middle of the ring at once. While the ref escorted Arn back to his corner, Ole went for a big body slam on Morton, which Gibson encountered by drop-kicking both men to the mat. Morton landed on top, and the ref counted the fall as Arn looked on in disbelief. The wrecking crew had lost one more opportunity. I'm talking about a crew, not just a ref, but Rick Flair, Rick Morton, the left. Just one-on-one situation, and you can see Rick and Morton, what he's doing to Rick Flair. He's giving him a beating, a good beating. As a matter of fact, it's not even competitive as far as Rick Flair. Rick Flair is out of it. You can see he's staggering on his feet. One little mistake there. He's hanging on for life. He hung onto the ropes, and Ricky Morton made a slight mistake. It's a big high beetle. I know what it feels like to get thrown on that mat. It jars your spine from the top of your head all the way down. But as I see this fight, there's a one, two, three, and I mean, this, this is unbelievable. And I know the feeling, you see, there's not too many men in professional wrestling that have pinned Ric Flair. Look at Iron Anderson, Ric Flair. I can't believe it. I know. They just cannot believe look, what they happened. Go, they go after. They go after Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. See, they break into their dressing room. Right there, J.J. Dillon, off. All four of them. Now, look at earlier. See, they can't take defeat to see a three, four on one, four on two. They, they pour Harbor in the dressing room, hit them with chairs over the head, rub their head in the concrete floor. Yeah, watch, I mean, yeah, watch Ric Flair. All right, the, the, you see what they're doing to Robert Gibson? Now, look at that. Look at Ric Flair. Take it, taking Ricky Morton's face and rubbing it into that concrete floor, trying to push his face all the way through it. This is they horrible. Say, as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is going too far. As far as I'm concerned, a world's champion acting that way, I think something's going to be done. Something's going to be done seriously. Somebody's going to get hurt. You've done pushed people around too far. 
You see, there's a man that was warned about terrorism. He didn't do nothing, so we went out there and dropped some bombs, make a believer out of them. Well, you see, obviously, that's exactly what's got to be done here. We got to make believers out of Ric Flair, the Three Horsemen, and J.J. Dillon. Nobody forgets about you. We know you're in the back there somewhere, and something is going to be done. And you're talking about some serious business. Some dues are going to be paid back because I know Ricky Morton, and I know Dusty Rose, Magnum T.A. I know what's going to happen. All right, thank you, Ron. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with more action right after this. Finally, it was time for the main event. Nature Boy Ric Flair made his way to the ring without an escort. As his comrades were miles away, things started off in Flair's favor, but it quickly became obvious that his assorted offense wasn't having much effect on the big Russian. Where Flair's chops and knee drops would just bounce off a Koloss bulky mask, Nikita's offense was wearing down the Nature Boy. When the night's second big Hebner bump came to pass, Koloff was enraged. He turned his attention from Flair to aid the ref, and Rick took the opportunity to jump the man from behind. The comeback was short-lived, and Flair soon went down to the Russian sickle, Koloff's clothesline finisher, and an additional ref came from the back and counted a near fall. Koloff sent Flair to the corner and continued his punishment uninhibited. As the second ref urged Nikita to break, the Russian turned and shoved the new ref down. When the original ref made his way back to the ring, he got more of the same. Finally, more workers ran from the back and held Nikita back as well. Flair took the opportunity to deliver some additional offense, which just served to further piss the Russian off. As all hell broke loose, the bell rang. The winner was announced as Ric Flair as Koloff had thrown the first blow at an official. By disqualification, still world champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. And with 1986 drawing to a close, the Horsemen held the world title and TV title. Things hadn't gone down as poorly as they could have or should have at Starcade, but the stable was far from happy. With the tag team titles eluding the Andersons, the new presence of Nikita Koloff, the Rock and Roll Express and Dusty Rhodes biting at their heels, and the threat of future assault looming over their heads, the horsemen needed solidarity now more than ever. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling fans, it's time to thank our sponsors of the Beyond the Bell podcast. The SNS Radio Network provides daily audio programming that covers professional wrestling and sports entertainment. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Squared Circle Media is proud to make episodes of Beyond the Bell and other pro wrestling audio content available to wrestling fans around the world. You can find all content from Squared Circle Media at www.squaredcirclemedia.net. Ringannouncing.com is the official website of ring announcer Sean Beckerman. This is where you will find video, audio, and the latest schedule for the future of ring announcing. All videos are streamed at the YouTube channel, also labeled Ring Announcing. Stitcher works to provide an innovative platform for listening to audio content on the go. You can download the Stitcher app on all smartphones via the Android Market and the iTunes App Store. Stitcher, now streaming innovative audio. If you are interested in advertising on Beyond the Bell, email us at btbwrestling at gmail.com and in the title type advertising. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution. It's go time. Old school wrestling fans, 
Thank you so much for joining us once again for another edition of The Horseman Files. 1986 is in the books. And then we look ahead to another year in the life of the Horsemen, 1987. Will they finally gain the tag team titles and solidify themselves as the greatest faction ever to step foot inside the squared circle? Stay tuned. Remember to catch all archive shows at snsradionetwork.com as well as ringannouncing.com, the new home for archive Beyond the Bell shows as well as new shows each and every week that are streamed also on the SNS Radio Network. Ringannouncing.com has all video and audio dedicated to myself, Sean Beckerman, that's also focused professional wrestling, as you can see audio and video of myself announcing some of the greatest stars to ever enter the squared circle, as I've had the opportunity to announce such great legends in this business. All this can be found at the official YouTube channel of ringannouncing.com. The username is ringannouncing. All links are found also at ringannouncing.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman and like Beyond the Bell and myself, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, on Facebook. Any questions, comments, or hate mail, please contact me at btbpodcast at gmail.com. Also, at ringannouncing.com, you can comment on all the posts of our archive shows. Also, don't forget to tune in to the special segment each and every week on Unplugged with JJ Sexy and Charles Shane every Friday on the SNS Radio Network as it's hosted by myself as we look back at this week in wrestling history. Wrestling fans, I'll see you next week as we rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling beyond the bell. Fans, in the meantime, I will see you at the matches. Good night, everybody.